0: Hey, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Discover More, where we strive to accelerate the learning process together through intentional dialogues. My name is Benoit. And my name is Aiden. This
1: podcast was built on the foundation of approachable guests, synthesized experiences, and relatable lessons that will help you grow throughout your journey. Thank you for tuning in this week. We hope you enjoy and continue to discover more.
0: Good morning, everyone. We hope you all had a healthy and relaxing weekend. This week, we continue our conversation with Penn Medical student Allison Hare, who has an immense passion for caring for and connecting with others. In this episode, she shares a powerful story of a past patient's miraculous recovery, which helped her identify internal medicine as her true calling. Additionally, she provides insightful advice for new medical students which is arguably applicable to anyone adventuring down a new path. This portion of the episode evolves into an enlightening conversation around exploration, self-discovery, and the balance of intention and surrender. Lastly, we dive into the importance of examining personal motivations, reframing situations, and ultimately starting with why. We'd really appreciate if you could leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts, as it really helps the podcast grow. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Discover More with us and Allison Hare. Thank you.
1: So now that you are through step one, um, which is obviously a huge accomplishment and kind of have years behind you. Really curious is, I guess, more of a specific question. What would you tell yourself four years ago when you were entering Penn? Something maybe reflect, something that you've realized with reflection or something that really changed the way you look about med school or even what was going to be expected. But I'd really be curious as to share your words of wisdom on the other side of step one for you on day one.
2: Yeah, that's a good question. I think that I think the main thing I would tell myself is to stop stressing out so much about what my ultimate specialty or career journey was going to be, um, because that's something that really just deeply stressed me out in my first, I would say like two, two and a half years here, just because I didn't have a clear vision of what I wanted to get out of the experience. And I'm a person that's all about like optimizing what I make out of like every opportunity that presents itself. I had a really tough time um, when I first got here because I felt like I wasn't making the very most of the fact that I was at such a fantastic school. And so ultimately I took this very convoluted journey in terms of what I wanted out of um, my career in medicine and what specialty I wanted to do just because I felt like I had to pick something. Like I had to like Lock down what future I had in place. I think that I'm finally at a point where I know what that is, but it's taken a lot of journey and like self discovery and exploration of like a bunch of different interests that I have. So I think if I could go back and just talk to 2017 me, I would say, don't worry about it so much. Like, take a chill pill because things are going to work out. And it's okay if you want to like explore this interest and it doesn't work out because it's still going to give you valuable insight into who you are and what you want. And at the end of the day, what more can you really ask for from an experience? So that's what I would say.
1: Yeah, that's a really powerful statement because what we talked about earlier is kind of like that balance between having the end goal. So I think For someone like you, and I know a lot of us, we like to have that end goal. Ben referenced a little earlier when we were talking off the mics about having unwritten pages in the book Mm -hmm. and not knowing what those pages were going to contain. So similarly, you didn't know what you wanted your specialty to be or where that endpoint was. So that really reminds me of the idea of balancing intention and surrender, kind of having that intention up front, but surrendering to what's going to be in the what's to come, what's in the future, um, and that's something I try to remind myself every day. It's, yes, you want to know where you want to go and have an outcome that I guess you're aiming at, mm. but kind of letting go from the stresses of the day to day. So mm. I think that's a really powerful piece of advice, not only for day one medical students that could be listening, but really anyone adventuring down a new path in their life.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Totally.
2: One one thing that really helped me in kind of similar to what you're saying is something that my roommate framed for me when I was going through a struggle earlier this year. She said that things in life can either be a problem or a mystery, which is to say that with a problem there's a definitive path for solving it, like you know what you have to do in order to figure out the solution, but with a mystery there's a lot of ambiguity and you don't know necessarily like what you need to do in order to resolve it, right? For people like me who are very type A in a lot of ways, always like to take an action approach to issues that come up in your life. And you try and try and try to come up with a solution to those problems, even when given your current like situation in life, like that solution may not exist. And a helpful sort of like reframing activity that I found is to frame these things as mystery because there's not always that readily available solution. And you just have to be comfortable with the ambiguity and say, it's okay that the solution doesn't exist right now because I know that ultimately it will come up and I'll know what the right answer is. And that's just something that future me will have to figure out. And that's okay.
0: Yeah, and I think it's like the idea of like hero's journey or adventure, where if you always know what adventure is ahead, it's not adventure. Yeah. It's a script that you're going through. It's a movie. It's a predetermined transcript you're going through, which takes away the fun of it. So I think go back to what Simon Sinek, the reason of why, the power of why, if you're why is strong enough, the hows and what will follow. And the as long as you have an intention and a guidance of a compass to where you want to go, of course, there's going to be ambiguity, there's going to be uncertainty, but I think the end goal and the adventure will take care of itself. And I share that because I'm in a life where I will be transitioning out of my policy work into potential part pivot into clinical psychology because I fell in love with the mental health. I fell in love with the power and the impact of mental health on my clients and the the people who have less opportunities than most people. And the problem was that is the more I research, they realized I only took one psychology class in undergraduate, like I told you guys, and to have a PhD or a psych D in clinical psychology, it's a doctoral program. So it's obviously extremely advanced in psychology. So that means I have to take like six to eight prereqs, so even qualify to apply for a program which may make it like a, a lengthy process. But of course that's a lot of uncertainty in that and uncertainty always makes people with type A personalities very nervous because mm-hmm. we're very driven by actions like we alluded to earlier and we're very driven by certainty because for us, as long as we put down the work and we, pre- like with preparation, we can diminish and conquer uncertainty. But in this sense, a lot of times life gives you uncertainties and you can never overcome life. Mm-hmm. So however, for me, I know that if I through to decide on that pivotal moment, I think if my why is big enough, if I really want to become that provider of experience for my patients, for my clients, I know my why will conquer my hows and whats, and I'll have the work ethics. I'll have the resources to eventually take those courses to eventually apply for a PhD program. So I thought what you said was super, super relevant. And what Aiden talked about, not just to first year medical students, but for people of our age and, mm-hmm. and people of all ages where you will face different pivot moments in your life and you will face different chapters with unwritten, unscripted pages, mm-hmm. like what I'm going through right now. And I think that, like you talked about, it's a mystery, mm-hmm. but it's not a problem because now you have the opportunity to write what you want, yeah. to write your own history as cliche and cheesy as that sounds, you know? Yeah. And with that, yeah. I want to transition into the specialty realm. Mm-hmm. And from our conversations and from my conversation with my girlfriend, Becky, a lot of medical students, he seems who are very highly functional you tend to gravitate towards the surgery realm where because surgery is perceived as extremely prestigious, uh, I think there's a higher pay association to that and then there's a lot of perception to the surgery realm. Mm -hmm. And I would love to know about your decision-making. You told your day one medical students yourself of just let go of your stresses, let go Mm -hmm. of the stressors and just trust the process Mm -hmm. in terms of the specialty, whatever. The reason why I ask about your specialty and the decision-making process because my girlfriend she also went through a, a lot of struggle and a lot of adversity in terms of picking what she wants for specialty because both of in the same year and then decisions are in the corner so she went into with the mindset of she wants to become a plastic surgeon and she, she thought plastic surgery what she wanted and that gave her fulfillment of course you have to do crazy 24-hour shifts and then i think on surgery rotation it's like every three days and you have to do a 24-hour shift every three days for her program and she was stressed out a lot right but she's like this is what i want because of the prestige because of the validation and the recognition from everyone, from the world externally and internally from the school. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, after a long time, she decided to give up that path. Every time after at the end of the rotation, you get ranked by your uh, attendee, which is your doctor. Then there's rank of like high pass and honors. And she gave the most effort she's ever been in all of her rotations and she needed honors, right? Which is going to help add it to her chance of for plastic surgery. And she received high pass, which is not honors. And then she would check in with her attendee, the doctor, every three days, like, hey, what can I do to improve? I want to commit to surgery, so I need a lot of feedback. The doctor would just shrug it off and just send her off. She's like, oh, you're doing great, Becky. There's nothing else to add. After a month of doing that, Becky was like, okay, she got this false sense of expectation. Because she's like, okay, my doctor's telling me I'm doing good, so I must be doing fine. And when she finally got the evaluation, she got high pass. A lot of people uh, could get high pass even with minimum effort which is why it's very skewed in a sense. So that really put her in a very like crisis mode and she was very down mentally because that's like one thing she needed now on top of research whatever and that recognition would help a lot which forced her to be more internally reflective and she realized her personality was diverging from what she wanted to become and she was becoming the type of version, the type of self that she didn't want to be and as a medical student, you're quote unquote on the bottom of the totem point hospital because you're still students, but on the weird side you're also on the top of the totem pole because you're going to be a future doctor right and she found herself starting to look down on auto medical students who's doing different rotation that's not surgery and she found herself talking down to nurses you know she found herself this false level of superiority she's just like oh i'm a plastic surgeon i'm a medical student i'll become a surgeon in the future and she's a christian so she does have that faith uh, factor but after a week of very difficult reflection talking to different friends and a lot of her friends who quote unquote are equipped to become a surgeon you have to be more analytical and be more cold-hearted because you're raising time you're trying to fight death on a day-to-day basis so they have very minimum time to interact with their patients because they're like boom i saved you i'm doing my procedure surgery and i'm out to so the next and she found herself being sucked into that environment, that condition, because she's surrounded by those 24 hours, 22 hours, days, however long. So she ultimately said to give up the surgery because that's not the type of person she wanted to become, you know? And I know that's a very common threat in a lot of uh, medical students. And to you earlier, you told us about how much of a caregiving provider experience you wanted to provide. That's the reason why you, after music, you chose medicine, because you want to become the experience provider. You want to provide for, your patients to connect on a level. So I think it'd be very interesting to share about your decision-making and what type of specialty you chose based on the qualities and the values you believe in.
2: Sure. Yeah. Um, and thanks for sharing about uh, Becky's journey. I know that everyone kind of goes through a different path on this and it's never easy. And sometimes push comes to shove and you need to prioritize values over other things that you thought were important. And you know, it's, it's difficult no matter how you spin it. So that's, yeah, that's great insight for me. Because I went straight through from undergrad into medical school, I sort of entered not really knowing what I wanted to do out of the experience. So because of that and because of my personality where I try to, you know, treat everything like a problem that needs to be solved, I kind of jumped around and got really involved in several different interests immediately. Um, So... When I first got here, I was really interested in ENT, uh, ear, ear, nose, and throat specialty, just because that's something I had been really involved with in undergrad and it sort of offered a great balance of a lot of things I was looking for. So I was in the interest group for that and did some research, did a lot of shadowing, also interested in pediatrics, um, just because I really like kids and was also pretty involved with developmental psychology in college. So I got really involved with that. Was also interested in trauma surgery for a really long time, um, based on this experience I had had in the trauma bay, where we had helped save this person's life, and that experience actually kind of set me on this like whole journey towards surgery that I can get into more details with later. But ultimately decided against for some similar reasons to Becky and like some other reasons. I guess to provide context, I at the time of my experience in the trauma bay was in a lab at Penn um, in the summer after my first year, where the experience wasn't going nearly as well as I was hoping that it would, and. I ultimately was really frustrated and I was sort of internalizing the failure that I felt like the experience was becoming because as we've sort of referenced in our earlier conversation, that's what we're predisposed to do as human beings is think that everything that goes wrong is our fault and because there's something wrong with us, right? And so because of that experience, I felt like I had to find another source of external validation to boost up the hit that my ego had taken by being in this lab, right? So in that summer, I did a lot of shadowing in the trauma bay just because I used to work as an EMT in college and just really liked the adrenaline and sort of the action of that, of that space. And there was this guy who came in. Who had been shot? Um, just you know, a common sort of occurrence in the West Philly neighborhood that the hospital was based in. And you know, it was my first time in the trauma bay, and had never taken care of people who had been shot in the rural Wisconsin EMS station that I worked at. Um, <laughs> so I was like, oh my god, like, what do I do? But the surgeons that I was working with determined that the artery that had been transected by this bullet actually could be surgically repaired. Um, so a lot of the times when they bring the patients back into the trauma bay it's really more of like an ed an emergency department like they're not actually performing surgery on these people because one a lot of the times they're too far gone um and two um a lot of the things that people come in for doesn't really have a surgical fix like there needs to be like a mechanical issue so for this patient it was like okay this artery has been just like transected in order for him to not bleed out we need to like repair it right So I was a first year in med school, uh, fresh to this whole thing. And they're like, come on, like, let's go. Like, we need to go to the OR stat. So I like, put on scrubs and they're like scrub in like you're gonna help like oh my god what's happening it's like 2 a.m on a Friday night like I just I was still there for whatever reason and so I'd never like scrubbed in before scrubbing in is where you like clean your hands super super well so that you can go into the OR and put on the gloves and all the surgical whatever so that you can like help with the surgery and so I like scrubbed in I like so like a nurse helped me I figured it figured it out um and then I went in and you know it was this like frantic situation but obviously, you know, the trauma surgeons were used to it and just absolutely amazing at their jobs and within the hour had repaired this person's artery that had been damaged by the gunshot and ultimately he ended up living. He was saved by the surgery that I had, like, helped with, which, you know, like my obviously like my involvement was like super limited as a first year med student. Like I helped like hold things. Like I was not the person that saved this person's life. But just, you know, having that experience in this sea of negativity that I had surrounded myself with in the lab that I was working at in the time was such a night and day experience to everything else that I was just like so immediately drawn to trauma surgery in particular. And I was like, wow, like this gave me a huge ego boost. Like I walked out of that hospital at 4 a.m. just feeling like a million bucks. I'm like, wow, I can do anything. <laughs> Which is maybe not like the best takeaway, but that's what I took away from it. And after that happened... I got super involved in the world of trauma surgery and, you know, worked on some papers. I would, whenever I had like a free Friday or Saturday night, because that's when all the action is, as they say, I would go into the trauma bay and just help out because I just thought it was the coolest thing, like so much fun. So I did that for a really long time. And then this past year was my year of clinical rotations. And so I did three months of surgery as a part of that. And at the time, um, I was going through a really challenging breakup and just like really struggling. And I would go into the hospital at like 4.30 every day, um, help out with, you know, a bunch of surgeries. And don't get me wrong, like it was so cool. It was honestly like the coolest thing I'll probably ever do. I got to scrub in and like use this da Vinci robotic surgical system where you operate remotely from a console. And you actually get to like use the little arms like a video game almost to operate within a person's body through all these different mechanical arms and it was just like so interesting I never you know in a million years thought that I would have been able to do that but I was and every day I would go and I was like so excited but I think because I was you know struggling in this other you know more personal capacity of my life I was still deeply unhappy it wasn't enough and I was doing the coolest thing I ever thought I would be able to do and it still wasn't enough like it wasn't meaningful. In that moment, in that rotation, I really had to evaluate, why am I doing this? Like, what do I wanna get out of this experience that is like this career in medicine? Like, what is most important to me? Because clearly this isn't doing the trick. Like, I'm absolutely miserable. And so, you know, I was sitting in my bed one night and I was just like, I need to figure out, like, why do I wanna do surgery? Like, what, what is in it for me? If I if I do this specialty, I have to give up seven years of my life to do a surgical residency. And after that, like, I may not even have the guarantee that I'll have more free time because as an attending surgeon, like, you don't really get the power to say, this is what my schedule should be because you have to go in at all hours of the day, especially as a trauma surgeon. Like, you need to be on call. You need to be there at that 3 a.m. call where someone's shot and you're the only one that knows how to operate and save them. Like, you can't not do that. And personally, like, I've always really wanted a family. I've always wanted to be there for my kids. I've really valued the things that I do outside of the hospital. Clearly, like, I love music. I love traveling. I love I love everything about life. And I, I can't, in that moment, I couldn't justify it to myself giving up all of that just to have this, like, really, you know, amazing job, but one that in the moment, like, as a brand new student still wasn't getting me through the really difficult emotional endeavors that I was going through at the time. So I sat down and I was like, okay, I really need to explore what my actual motivations for this are because so far all it's been is, wow, like this is really dope field. Like it's really cool. I'm really excited when I'm here, but like that's not necessarily enough to get you through an entire lifetime of sacrifice to do that type of work. Right. So I was sitting there and I'm like, you know, like, this is actually really similar to the time that I decided to do medicine rather than music. Just to like paint the picture, like when I had made that decision to switch to medicine as a 12th grader, I was operating from a point of an ego deficit where I had just been told that I wasn't good enough at the cello to pursue that as a professional endeavor. And I was like, well, I need to do something that makes me feel like I'm not a failure. What could I possibly do that... You know, everyone would look at me and tell me that I'm a success. Um, and for me at the time, that answer was medicine. And like I've, you know, told you guys, it ultimately became something that I really, truly valued and like loved to my core. But initially, it was a decision made from a place of insecurity and a place of needing that source of external validation. And in reflecting on that, and also in reflecting on the mental space from which I had originally decided that I wanted to become a surgeon, which was working in that lab in the summer after my first year and just really feeling like a complete failure. I wanted that external validation of, yes, like I can do something that saves people's lives every single day and people will revere me as some form of God, right? Like that's honestly how I viewed the trauma surgeons I had operated with. Like they were gods to me. They had just saved this person's life. And kind of like what you were saying, Benoit, earlier about Becky's experience with surgery, there is a lot of, you know, sort of deference made to them in the hospital, even though it's not necessarily true or founded or the best way to view specialties as a hierarchy, because I I don't think they are and they shouldn't be. In my mind, I did kind of view... Surgeons, and in particular trauma surgeons at the top of this like mental pyramid that I had created for myself. And I was like, well, you know, if I'm not good enough to be in this basic science lab, then if I become a surgeon, there's no way that any of these people could possibly view me as a failure because I've made it to like what I viewed as the top. So this all sort of came to me that one night. I think it was like last June. I was like, oh my God, like what? I can now finally clearly see my motivation for these major decisions that I've made in life. And even though a lot has happened from the time that I was a senior in high school to the time that I'm, you know, now making this decision for what specialty I want to do, I'm almost the same exact person that's dealing with the same flaw that made me go into medicine in the first place. And it was almost like a switch had flipped. One moment, I definitely wanted to go into surgery despite all the sacrifices that I would have to make in order to do so. And the next moment, I was just like, let it go. I was like, it's not worth it. I love so much about what life has to offer. And I know that so many positive things are coming my way. I can't possibly do surgery after this, especially now that I have had the insight that, you know, I made it from a place of insecurity, not one from like, this is truly what my passion is, right? So I had that moment. And then I thought about psychiatry for a while because I like been while I'm really interested in mental health, had a couple experiences with that made me realize it probably wasn't the best fit for what I wanted to get out of my career. I then did a month on emergency medicine. It was just like an incredible experience. I've mentioned I love the adrenaline rushes uh, that that sort of environment can, can provide. So obviously, you know, that was really a great fit. And I finished off all of my rotations with two months of internal medicine and just happened to get paired with this like incredible mentor. He is an internal medicine hospitalist and was such an intentional teacher and mentor and patient advocate. I really, really look up to him and I aspire to be like him in my ultimate career one day. But the reason why I share is because he sat me down on one of the first few days of my rotation just to talk to me about what I wanted out of my life and where I saw myself going with my career specialty. And he really wanted to explore my motivations for wanting to enter emergency medicine, which was what I thought I wanted to do at the time. You know, emergency medicine has a lot to offer. It's a bad specialty, you get um, shift work, so you work eight hours at a time and you could kind of select your schedule to fit into like whatever your life circumstances. You get to deal with every type of patient, you get to do pull procedures, like I could just go on and on. But the one thing you don't have is continuity um, between patients. Like you are not anyone's doctor because you're everyone's doctor. You kind of work for the public, and while that also really drew me in because I'm interested in policy and public health and a lot of things that are relevant to emergency care, you don't get that patient relationship over time that you develop as a medicine doctor. So he made me think about that, and as a medical student in these rotations, you're sort of drawn to whatever is cool and sexy because that's the immediate thing that's available, and I think that's kind of what had happened to me with emergency medicine, right, right? but something that had happened just prior to my like being sat down by this attending was um, I was on this rotation uh, where I took care of a patient that I really like really truly just bonded with like a patient that I'd never bonded with before. She's someone that I took care of for I think two weeks, but it felt like a lot longer than that. Um, I would go into her room every day and we would just sit and talk for like three or four hours. Honestly, she felt like, a future version of myself because in some ways like we were so similar in terms of our personality and our goals and our desires that we could just talk forever and she was really sick like really really sick she got worse and worse as I took care of her and by nature of the way that the clinical rotations works is that you have two to four weeks on a given service and then you have to rotate off and do something else so she was still admitted by the time I left you know I would still like bring her, like, the best coffee in the hospital where I would get it from the emergency room every day and, like, bring it up. But, like, I had to leave. Um, and, like, I was no longer the one that was her primary caregiver. So that really sucked. But, you know, I would still go see her. And, like, she kept getting sicker. And one weekend I was, you know, just looking on the chart, doing some charting, and I noticed that she had been taken to the operating room. I was like, oh, my God, like, what? No, <laughs> what's going on? And so her condition actually... Um, had required her to be on the transplant list for a few different organs. Um, and apparently she had she had gotten the organs that she needed um, from a donor just because she had risen to the top of the waiting list because of how sick she was um, and how sort of desperate the situation was, which honestly like surprised me. Like I, at that point thought that it wasn't gonna happen just based on how fast she was deteriorating and how limited organ availability is in this country. But she ended up making it through the surgery um, and was taken to the surgical ICU afterwards. Um, And then that day was the day that I had had this conversation with my attending where he really made me reevaluate my decision to go into emergency medicine and, you know, think about how much I cared about that continuous patient-physician relationship, right? Like he really provided me with clarity on that, Um, but I was still a little unsure, so I kid you not, like immediately right after that conversation, I was like, okay, I'm going to go visit my patient in the ICU to just check up on her. So I went and I like walk into the little ICU room um, and I see her and she's in this like enormous bed that's surrounded by like what looks like a million different machines that are keeping her alive, like a different, like like 50 different like drains and um, lines and like a breathing machine that was breathing for her because after such an extensive surgery, you can't do that for yourself. she just like looked really bad, like really sick. Um, It looked like she was asleep. So I started introducing myself to the people in the room, um, her nurse and this like woman that I'd never seen before. And as soon as I started talking, I was just like, hey, I'm Allison. Like I'm I'm the med student that was taking care of her. This patient's eyes snapped open and she like sees me and she like beckons over with her hand. She's like, come, come, like come to my bed and i was like oh my god what like she's awake what's happening um so i went over and she just she like she grabbed my hands and i just i like i started bawling like i'm just so overcome with emotion in seeing her and like seeing that she's alive and that she's made it through this surgery and that you know she's so happy to see me and that she's so touched that like i'm there and like i'm touched that I, like it just the whole thing was honestly like the most profound emotional experience i think i've ever had like to this day i i don't know if i'm ever going to have that again like that was just this unreal moment and you know obviously not the most professional thing for me to be like crying in a patient room but hey like med school gets to the best of us i guess so the other woman in her room was actually her daughter and as soon as she found out who i was she said oh my god like you're allison uh you're all that she could talk about before she went into the operating room. And I just, oh my God, that really made me lose it. I was like, wow, how honored do I feel to be in a position to like take care of this human being who has such a endless capacity to love and just even in her sickest state, appreciate the fact that I came to see her, which is such a small thing, you know? So that was another one of those moments where it was like a switch had flipped. Like in that moment, I knew that I couldn't give up on what that patient physician relationship had to offer. Because to me, there is no more fulfilling feeling than having that connection with someone else, like that real human connection, and knowing that you can be there for them and serve them as their doctor, right? Like that is the most important feeling that I think I've ever felt. And like that feeling of tapping into something that's greater than myself really made me. Realize that emergency medicine, while cool and sexy and like fast paced, probably wasn't going to be the ultimate fulfilling thing for me to do. So I remember after that, I like left her room and I got myself together in a bathroom and I was like, all right, well, I guess I'm an internal medicine doctor (laughs) and that's what I'm going to do. So yeah. So at this point, I'm obviously not done with medical school and I still have a few more rotations and like clinical electives to do and my year out and all of that. But I think, I think that's kind of what's in store for me. And as far as that patient goes, she's still doing really well, actually, even though she'd almost died. We met up for coffee a a couple weeks ago, and she's doing really great. And I'm just so grateful, like I said, to be in the position that I am so that I can meet people like her and take care of her and just feel like I've found my calling. Because that's honestly, like, not BSing you guys. Like, that's how I feel. Like, I, I just, I've connected with this, like, flow of purpose. And it's the best feeling in the world and it makes all of this struggle worth it. Like every long night of studying every like time that I've been sitting in a lecture hall and I don't want to be there every time that I'm pimped by an attendee and I just feel like horrible about myself afterwards. It just, it doesn't matter because I found something greater and that's all there is to it.
0: Thanks for sharing Allison. That was such an emotional and powerful story that you shared for both of us and for the audiences. And I just wanted to quickly describe the emotional state you displayed because I think it takes a level of audacity, a level of courageousness, a level of humility to share that and to display a level of vulnerability in public on the mic, right? And as you we are sharing that, I could see the tears forming up in your eyes, which made both of us cheery. And it's such like a powerful story because it exactly alludes to and describes the type of person you are. Right? You're not in this prestigious hospital, medical, medicine field because of the prestige, because of the money, but rather the experience, rather the patience, rather the advocacy that you're so passionate about. And it's like what Christian talks about from our last guest. He talks about there's many different people, many different characters, different cast in this world act as instruments of the universe, right? They're the hints by, by God. I, I'm a Christian. I know you go through different phases in life, but I believe. God, or this higher being, or whatever you believe, the universe, they're always dropping hints, Mm -hmm. trying to guide you or to correct your path to the designated places. However, I think it takes a certain level of humility and to take a certain level of compassion, a level of qualities for you to perceive and to accept those hints. And just because he is dropping hints doesn't mean you can always pick it up. But it looks like Everything, all the sequences and all those moments happen perfectly, just the way they're meant to be. Like the violent intervention, like we talked about, where you were struggling internally because you weren't sure where you wanted to go because you dedicate so much effort and your time and your life and everything in between to this surgery because you got this constant high from trauma surgery, from this adrenaline, all this fast paced energy. But at the end of the day, when you sit down, you realized that. Why were you in this place? Why why did you pick medicine to begin with? And it's very powerful to, for me to see that you have the humility to accept the instruments in the universe, to accept the hints that higher being was showing. So that's awesome.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I'm happy to share. I think it's not often in life that you feel like you've tapped into like what feels like destiny. And just the fact that I was able to achieve that is not something I ever thought I would feel just based on my sort of constant consternation in terms of what I want to do with my career and my life. So to have had so many people almost what feels like placed in my life to help me see that just makes me feel so grateful and so so privileged to be in the position that I'm in. So I'm just I'm really 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 happy about how things have played out.
0: Yeah, and with that I'm curious. So you talked about how you've always had this internal level of insecurity and this level of self esteem challenges, which prompted you to go into medicine after your you know, failures and fell in love with the process of medicine and then you've refound your purpose. But at the same time, in the midst of it, you went through the phase again to feeling the like failure. But I'm curious to like, A, where is that level of insecurities coming from? And I know it's a very meta and difficult decision that we're all asking to ourselves because I think it is a lifelong journey that we have to continue to put in the effort of putting the intention, trying to uncover that, like why are we feeling insecure? And it's a very difficult field to talk about. And B, since the epiphany, since the profound moment you had with that patient, how did that affect your level of insecurity? Like A, did it alter how you felt about yourself? Because now it's no longer external validation, but internally you truly found your calling, your Mm -hmm. destiny, as you Mm -hmm. called it. So I would love for you to kind of walk us through your process, your mind, and that has impacted you overall.
2: Yeah, sure. I mean, yeah, I think that the concept of self-identity and worth is something that despite whatever someone says like everyone has those questions at some time at certain times in their life and for me I think the best answer that I can come up with like right now is that I struggled more so in like elementary middle and early high school with being really shy and not very outspoken and never really being the most popular person in the room and sort of internalizing that to think that I wasn't good enough for whatever I wanted to do in life. I don't know why that is, but that's just, you know, that's how I was as a kid. Maybe it was an inherent thing. Maybe there was some environmental trigger for that. I'm honestly still not really sure. And it's something I'm still thinking about and working through as best I can. But yeah, like I definitely had self-esteem issues as a middle schooler and high schooler. And like, sometimes I still do now, like there are certain things that make me feel insecure and I'm not going to shy away from that because it's another part of who I am. I'm definitely more aware now and I'm definitely like doing a lot better in that capacity than I was years ago, um, I would hope. (laughs) But yeah, no, it's definitely something I've struggled with. And I think for me, um, part of the reason why I had these sort of like moments of crisis when it came to my career and why I think those were so intimately linked to my self-esteem is because it was a lot easier for me to use my career aspirations as um, sort of like a replacement for my self-esteem, if that makes sense. So because I knew that, or like I had an inkling that I would be successful in like X, Y, or Z professionally, it made more sense for me to use that as a form of self-esteem than like an actual basis of a self-esteem, right? So because I'm so like, quote unquote, good at the cello, I can use that as like, as an alternate for an actual self-esteem. But when that sort of, when the floor fell out from underneath me with that, I was left with nothing, right? Like I had nothing to sort of fall back on. Um, And the same thing with the specialty that I was interested in at the time when I, you know, became interested in surgery, like same thing there because I had sort of like used this extrinsic force of validation, as a replacement for my self-esteem, I didn't have anything to fall back on when things didn't go the way I wanted them to. And so in, in those situations, I think it was more of an external, circumstantial reason for why I was feeling so insecure. But like I think the same principle applies. Like I didn't allow myself the actual feelings of self-worth to be okay with whatever happened even if I failed. Because I was such a perfectionist, I like had not allowed myself that capacity. To answer the second part of your question about, you know, after my experiences over the past year and sort of having more clarity on my own motivations and desires and like why I wanna do the things that I wanna do in life and in my career, I think that understanding myself better and also going through so many moments of failure throughout clerkship year in general, because they're going to come, like no matter how good you are, like you're still gonna have days where you feel like a total pile of garbage at the end. I think I've almost been forced into position where I need to form that like internal base of self-worth that, you know, despite anything that happens, like even if this doesn't go the way that I want it to go, I'm still going to feel like I'm a good person at the end of the day and that I'm worthy of love and of good things in life because ultimately every human being is worth that. And if I believe this, then I should also believe it for myself, right? Because I'm a human being and I deserve Same love that everyone else on this planet deserves. So I've had to be a lot kinder to myself and like give myself a little more credit and just you know learn how to listen to all the people telling me that I am doing what I should be doing and that you know they think I'm going to be a great doctor because you know for the longest time I was my own harshest critic and I think a lot of perfectionists will be able to relate to allude back to the beginning part of our conversation, you internalize all the things that you do wrong and you attribute all your successes to things that are external to yourself. Um, but I've really needed to take a good hard look at that and think, how am I doing things great? And like, what what am I bringing to the table that makes me and is going to make me a fantastic doctor or engineer or accountant or like whatever it is that you are. Like you just, you need to, you need to give yourself that space to be excellent, because I think internally everyone has that. Like everyone has the thing that makes them unique and special, but they just need to allow themselves to be able to like accept that and believe it and show it off. Because that's what we should do as people that are kind to ourselves.
1: I think that's one of the biggest, not necessarily issues, but I guess topics that I kind of you can note from afar across industries, across professions. But it's really that idea of security and worthiness, because like you said, it comes from the inside. I think insecurity is something that is so prevalent, something I've specifically struggled with a lot and I think is almost inherent to the human condition. But it's once you realize that security comes from within rather than externally, because When you're comparing yourself to others there's the saying comparisons the thief of joy or even expectation can ruin all actual circumstances but it's when you look inward and to what you said get clear on your values clear on your motivations that's where the security comes because no matter what the external world throws at you right you can know who you are what you want to do and i think that's where the power really is i think you hit it on the head everyone on this earth is worthy is worthy of love and really should know that and carry that out in their day to day because it's painful to watch the potential that goes untapped you know mm-hmm. there's so many gifted people that you can see just not maximize their potential and i think that's personally I'm really curious as to your thoughts on this, but it's almost Mm. been a perspective shift away from an insecurity, but into a fear of not realizing potential. I think Mm. the three of us here are so grateful for this life here and know that there are so many incredible things out there. It's like a worry of not taking advantage of every amazing opportunity and like learning every lesson. So that's just was like a remarkable almost like you said, like pivot or like mm. nail on the head switch of the way I viewed insecurity. Sure, there's certain situations that I'm still uncomfortable with and it's obviously always going to be a process. Yeah. But now that fear is almost completely different of not taking advantage of everything. Is that something you've considered or even thought through?
2: Oh, definitely. Like now that you've seen the light of how much there is to offer, you're like, wait, am I not even making the most of that? Yeah, no, no it's it. it's like a paralysis thing. Yeah, I have definitely been through that. And I think... When I first got to Penn, my fear of like not making the very most of like that specific great opportunity forced me into all these ridiculous like, you know, joining every single interest group, whatever. So, yeah, no, I've definitely been through that. But for me, I think I finally did start getting the most out of my experiences when I stopped being so afraid. Right. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like it was once I was no longer trying to kind of force it that the experiences came to me. And that I got the sort of insight that I needed in order to make the most of the experience. So I know it's a lot easier said than done. But like in that situation, the advice I would give is like to stop caring so much and to stop trying to force things. Because if they're not meant to be, then they're not going to happen. And you can't force something that's not a good fit or like something that you're not going to learn, you know? Absolutely. That's just advice that I would at least give to myself in my past
1: in yeah, my
0: past year. Appreciate it. Very yeah. well said. Yeah, and I think everyone such as you and such a lot of people in this service provider, healthcare, social service field, like burning out is so prevalent because especially as competent, as high achieving as you are, you always extend the grace and the care and the love to other people. We often forget to extend that grace of love to yourself, right? Especially you're so consumed by this insane schedule. And you're always working, 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 and you don't really have time to think for yourself, to reflect, and to extend that love. Mm. So it's awesome that you came to that realization. And that reminds me of a quote that Eleanor uh, Roosevelt said, I believe, everything you desire is on the other side of fear. Mm. So I think once you can overcome that paralysis by analysis, mm. overcome that hurdle of fear, mm. I think you can truly uncover, like you and Aiden talked about, what life truly has to offer, because life is beautiful, right? And what I learned first and foremost from this podcast is there's so much out there for us to discover. That's why it's called Discover More. As long as you have the intention, the desire, the curiosity to chase after your pursuit, then I think gradually uncover and more and more of what the life says offer, mm-hmm. and yeah. So it's uh, thanks for sharing. It's I think it's very powerful that it's a reminder that we all have to tell ourselves always, always accept the lows Mm -hmm. but focus on the highs Mm -hmm. because sure luck and chances are a part of life you know circumstances but at the end of the day give yourself some credit because you obviously came to this far in this journey wherever that journey is for a reason
2: yeah yeah you're doing your best and that's all you can ask of yourself and even if that's not enough sometimes like i think in all our experiences that's been the case sometimes you're going to fail and sometimes the best you can bring to the table is not enough that's how it goes sometimes and accepting that will lead you to so many greater and better things and just like having that security knowing that like no matter what happens you're good enough that will take you through any failure in life and i think that's a lesson that everyone will probably learn at some point or at least i did
1: <laughs> yeah so well said allison i think it's a reminder that we can all use from day to day because life inevitably gets challenging and that belief i think is the thing that always will get us through so as we're coming to wrap up, I really want to acknowledge you for the insight and vulnerability that you brought to this table. It was one of hands down the most emotional and profound conversations we've had. So we really want to just thank you for bringing your full heart and full self to this conversation. It's been an absolute pleasure.
2: Yeah, of course. It was my pleasure to be here. This was really great. And I I love talking about these things. So I'm really happy to have had the outlet to sort of share my story. And, you know, I hope that my clarity and my journey and my motivations will help someone out there listening who may be going through similar struggles because more people are probably going through what you're going through than you know and i certainly am no exception
0: and hopefully next time we see you ellison you would have the md title after (laughs) ellison hair md so and yeah without a shadow of a doubt we both believe and truly believe that you will become a phenomenal doctor that who actually cares will actually advocate for the patients so thank you for your time on this cold, windy afternoon and go luck with the next interview of your life.
2: Thanks.
0: Thank you for listening to another episode of Discover More. We release a new episode every Monday on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And it would really appreciate if you have subscribed and shared this with your friends. We hope you enjoyed this episode and join us
1: next week in the journey of discovering more through intentional dialogues.